Hello, this is Oral Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold. Today in the Gospel, John the Baptist comes preaching, and he preaches a life of virtue and avoiding sin. And to follow that life of virtue and avoiding sin opens you up to the one who comes after him, who is greater than he is, who baptizes not in water, but in fire and the Holy Spirit. It's the life of virtue and the life of grace. And today in Oral Valley Catholic, we're going to talk about it in the context of the most intimate aspect of our life, human sexuality. So today in Oral Valley Catholic, we're going to talk about the hookup culture. And we're going to compare liturgies, a public liturgy and the liturgy of the church. Everyone who's ever been to a wedding knows what the liturgy of marriage looks like. And I will talk about that in the last part of Oral Valley Catholic. But I want to talk about a public liturgy that's happening all around us. And it's the liturgy of the hookup culture. Many of us have experienced it or witnessed it. But a liturgy is a ritual act that gives meaning to life. And so consider this as a public liturgy. College kids, end of the week, they owe themselves something. So what do they do? They go to a big party. They know they're going to get drunk. Uh, they don't plan on it maybe, but that's where it ends up. And then that gives them permission late in the evening about closing time. Lots of country songs about that to hook up. And a hookup is maybe a one-off, what used to be called a one-night stand. But the idea of it all is it's encountered in silence, awkwardness, and shame. And what it does do is undermine the capacity of young men and young women to have lives of intimacy and commitment. How does the liturgy end? Um, well, for men, maybe women, but probably not. Um, and the worst, there's worst case scenario, there's no sense of shame. That's just a natural act. There's no silence. There's silence about how someone might actually feel about her, what their hopes were or hopes are for their life. And maybe what's left is just the bragging. If we have not experienced this ourselves, others have. Donna Freitas, Freitas who was born in 1972, is a Catholic scholar and she teaches in a Catholic university. She's written several books about uh, the hookup culture and the sexual market on campus. Um, she was born in Rhode Island, one of the most Catholic states of the country. And uh, she's a very devout Catholic woman. She actually wrote a book about a priest who basically gave her what is called unwanted attention. And so she's very tied into this problem of sexuality that has haunted um, not just her generation, but really generations going back in America and is the current, uh, I think, just burden that the, that the young generation carries. She says that the problem with hookup culture isn't so much that everyone is participating in it, not everybody participates in it. It's that it's become the cultural liturgy by which young adults learn to think about both dating and mating. The idea that sex is about having your social issues or your intimacy issues um, met, at least overnight, um, without any recourse to what life looks like as it unfolds over the decades, uh, what this 
pattern of behavior will lead you to in a life when you're in your 70s and 80s, uh, really just a life of loneliness. You see, the church has a liturgy, the liturgy of marriage. It's a sacred rite that helps us tie into this deepest aspect of, of grace-filled human life in the presence of God. But a cultural liturgy draw, drops out some of the, of the parts about God and connection and substitutes just a ritual, which is a series of socially acceptable practices that form us into a way of life. And so the singles bar or aimless dating, um, it could be that you have a significant relationship, but you can't talk about the future, or it's become this closed box that is just about how you feel without any sense that as time goes on, your passions are gonna pass, you're gonna feel differently. And if passion was the only basis for this intimate relationship, uh, it will leave you alone. Sex and silence, uh, at least in the hookup culture uh, and in the hookup culture's liturgy, uh, are just dancing partners. Uh, Donna Freitas characterizes a hookup as consisting of three dimensions. And this is something to think about when you're talking to young people in your life. It includes some form of sexual intimacy, which is a pretty broad description. It's very brief and it's purely physical and lacks any significant communication. Um, you ought to listen to my uh, podcast about the zombie apocalypse, but I digress. The absence of communication is the hookup in the hookup culture is particularly troubling. People become just bodies. So as uh, Freitas writes, the brevity of a hookup also serves to show how casual a person is about his or her partner. The I don't care attitude. I can't be touched. Many students believe they're supposed to regard the hookup as casual, short, useful, my, names, my needs are met. It's like an afternoon snack or for warding off hunger or a workout for staying in shape. It's just one more pack to keep you on a happy lifetime, but it's a lie. Extreme brevity gets sex off one's to-do list. And for men, it means faster gains in the numbers. That's the number of sexual partners you have. Sleepovers and what she calls the walk of shame are still practiced a fair amount, but the goal remains to avoid any morning interaction. Sex without guilt or shame, or if you do feel guilt or shame, oh, and they do feel guilt and shame, you just can't ever admit it to anybody because that means there's something wrong with you, not that there's something very right about you that's trying to get your attention. So anyway, in the hookup culture ritual, a student leaves before the person wakes up, ideally so as to keep the social contract of not caring about one's partner. And uh, it keeps it more easily maintained. It's like you don't eat a hamburger, you don't say goodbye to the hamburger. This is the problem of the hookup culture. And what I'm describing probably is an extreme, but if you pay attention to it, it is a theme that t tends to run through casual sex. The sex market cheapens the encounter of man and woman. And that is a sacred encounter. Uh, Freitas and another writer I'll talk about, Timothy O'Malley, talk about a sociologist named Mark Regneris, 
who has written a book on um, dating and mating. It's called Premarital Sex in America, How Young Americans Meet, Mate, and Think About Marriage. And he talks about the transformation of the dating market and the marriage market resulting from the cheapening of sex. He says it's an economy of sorts um, where everybody is getting something out of it. For the most part, men value sex more highly than women. I think that's pro I think most everybody agrees that's true. Women don't shun sex, but men are more likely to engage in sex outside of a committed relationship. And here's some of his evidence for that, and it's worth thinking. Um, from his premarital sex in America study, uh, he writes that his researchers oversaw a unique experiment in which attractive young male and female researchers separately approached other, other sex strangers on a college campus, expressed their attraction to them, and then made one of three randomly selected requests. Would you go out with me tonight? Would you come over to my apartment tonight? Or would you go to bed with me tonight? Fully 75% of men, but not a single woman, agreed to the last of these the invitation to casual sex. It, I, I guess I'm encouraged that 25% of men said no, we should all be encouraged by that. But that 75% of men disconnect that clearly, a sexual encounter with any sense of relationship. Timothy O'Malley, the great Timothy O'Malley, who is the head of the McGrath Institute at the University of Notre Dame, wrote a wonderful book that if you're interested in these topics, is called Off the Hook, and he is a liturgist. And this where the idea of uh, um, the Catholic liturgy of marriage as a counter liturgy to this public liturgy of the hookup culture. He writes in his book and in, in his research or his reference to others who do the research about the hookup culture. And he says, among those currently in a heterosexual relationship, 52% of men claim that they would like more sex in their relationship, while only 29% of women make the same claim. Um, now you need to know what Ashley Madison is. Ashley Madison's this online dating site, but it's for married people who are looking for extramarital affairs. Men and women can sign up in Ashley Madison and they can hook up with someone for a, a sexual encounter. Um, but what O'Malley refers to is that the Ashley Madison site was hacked and journalists discovered that 1,492 women on that site had opened their mailboxes to receive messages compared to 20 million men. Well, that says something, doesn't it? At least about some people, about fidelity in marriage. That's why the importance of meet their parents, understand what their religious faith is, have a joint life that's bigger than just the idea that you're gonna have sexual pleasure. What drives these desperate men that go to Ashley Madison to cheat on their wives? That's something to pray about. So how about looking at the hookup culture from the perspective of dating and investment of time in a relationship? So what led to cheaper sex, according to Tim O'Malley? He said, the introduction of widely available hormonal contraception changed the dating market, making it far easier for men and women alike 
to have sex whenever they wanted. Regnerus, he's quoting Regnerus, the, the sociologist, writes, since pregnancy can be easily prevented now, a reality we take for granted, but one that was unimaginable not so long ago, having sex and thinking about or committing to marriage are two very different things today. Sex and marriage are not connected, according to Dr. Regneris. Now we have a split mating market. Some people just looking for sex, others looking for marriage. And all the confusion and misrepresentation that can ensue from that. So he continues, One corner of this split mating market is for people primarily looking and hoping for sex with no strings attached. And the other corner of which is for people interested in making the strongest commitment of marriage. And it's a lot of territory in between these comprise of these two corners that are the significant relationships that exist between the sex with no strings attached and sex that's looking for this commitment of marriage. And in between, you have all these other kinds of hookups and relationships that can last a day, a, a year, 10 years, 20 years, but almost all of them have a use-by date. Marriage is still widely considered to be expensive, by which I mean, this is Regnerus, that it's not entered into lightly and is costly in terms of fidelity, time, finances, and personal investment. And anybody who's married knows what that all means real commitment to another person. Sex, meanwhile, has become comparatively cheap, not that hard to get. This is America in uh, 2021. So here's some hookup uh, statistics. So males between the ages of 18 and 23, they've said have had 38, this is self-admitting, 38.5% of them, uh, males between the ages of 18 and 23, have had five plus partners. Females in that same age bracket, 36.6% have had five plus partners. It means a lot, of, a lot of, of these others are much less sexually active. But O'Malley says that out of all the people surveyed, about 6.1% wait for the altar. Why is this become so endemic? Well, so much, this, especially with this, this generation that is coming of age, and is just not marrying and not having babies. How much of this is rooted in the use of pornography? Because pornography costs. It undermines people's um, sense of self, their capacity for commitment. So uh, the statistics, this remember the hookup statistics, five plus one partners of males and females, 18 to 23%. This is interesting. Males in the 18 to 39-year-old bracket have watched pornography, 46% of them watched pornography in the last week. Meanwhile, females, only 16% of them used pornography in the last week. What it means is, is that women don't use porn like men use porn, but the women that don't use porn that way end up dating men that do use porn that way and it becomes a pornified relationship. People just expect much more than sex can deliver. Sex and love are spelled differently, my friends, can sex and love are two different things. You know, 
compared to marriage. And I think this is fair if you're married and happily married. I'm told this, I'm not married, haven't experienced. But I understand that mostly marriage consists of two people who care about each other, sleeping together in comfortable clothing most of the time. Victoria's Secrets is uncomfortable, though that kind of lingerie is actually really dropping in sales. That mostly people who end up together in a happy marriage just like being with each other. Commitment is just not needed to access sex is the point of the hookup culture. culture. In the split, gender-imbalanced, modern mating pool, women no longer need men to socially, culturally, and economically succeed in life. This is a good thing. But in step, there is less motivation for men to be noble and respect women's interests. When we're constantly told that women want the same thing, same thing as men, then men just believe that because partly it's convenient even if it's so patently untrue when it comes to relationships. Cheap sex slows down the road to marriage and makes its would-be participants think twice about it and draws their attention towards consumption rather than production. So what do we have in like a 30-year trend? A steep decline in marriage, a steep decline in birth, loneliness exponentially increasing because sex can leave you feeling lonely. Something is terribly wrong with this ritual of casual sex where people give themselves permission to take cheap sex, cheap relationships, cheap forms of intimacy. You know, in the same time, let's talk about the liturgy of marriage because it's taking a beating. There's, in the liturgy of marriage, it's how you date in preparation for marriage, how you are married and talk about marriage. What happens if you make this choice in marriage and it doesn't work out or it misfires? What's the pathway out of this dysfunction of taking the cheap route to intimacy? Did you know, my friends, in 1990, out of 55.7 million Catholics in the United States, there were 326,079 marriages total. Not an overwhelmingly positive number. But in 2017, which is almost 30 years later, out of 68.5% million Catholics, 13 million more Catholics, marriage had declined to 144,000. 148 marriages dropped down, you know, to something around a third of the marriages that existed in 1990. And I would say for those of us who remember 1990 as adults, not a high point for culture. These cultural liturgies, such as going to the shopping mall, which I think is dying, or remaining connected to the outside world through your uh, smartphone, shape and constitute our identities by forming our most fundamental desires and our most basic attunement to the world. This is how we interact. And when young people interact in ways disconnected from family and place and home, well, sex gets disconnected too. Boy, I say if you're dating somebody and you don't know the first names of their parents and how they met and fell in love, something's off the hook. So what happens, this cultural liturgy that substitutes for this liturgy of the gift of love and God. 
The hookup culture liturgy is Donna Freitas, Mark Regneris, and Timothy O'Malley tell us, separate love, life, and sex. Marriage, the Catholic marriage, integrates all of these things. Something to think about. So the gospel, and we're going to turn to that. Christ the bridegroom comes to transform our nature by grace. This is the preaching of John the Baptist. So why do increasing numbers of people reject the Catholic liturgy of marriage and love in exchange for this cheap, nasty substitute called the hookup culture? Here's what John the Baptist says. He comes preaching. Last week, he came preaching, and the gospel chapter uh, 3 started out, when Tiberius Caesar, in his 15th year of being emperor, and Tiberius Caesar used to abuse little boys, he made a statue to one of his little young lovers. Pontius Pilate, what is truth, Pontius Pilate? Herod and his whole family, uh, his child Herod and uh, Philip, all these Judean princes which are so corrupt, and then Annas and Caiaphas, the ones that will crucify Jesus in the end, who were deposed like 10 years later because of their own corruption. In this corrupt time, this prophet, John the Baptist, came preaching. In our corrupt time, and what I mean is just the goodness of life twisted in itself. And here's how the preaching goes in today's gospel. John went out throughout the whole region of Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Change how you think. And it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, making straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding road shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Not talking about a road across the desert, but this way of God in each of us. And so then people, and this is the gospel today, the crowds asked John the Baptist, what should we do? They're convicted. So if you're convicted, what should we do, it says. He said to them in reply, whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none. Whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, teacher, what should we do? He answered them, stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, and what is it that we should do? And he told them, do not practice extortion. Do not falsely accuse anyone. Be satisfied with your wages. In short, avoid abusing your office, abusing your body, abusing other people, and abusing the trust that's put into you. And instead, live a life of virtue. Share with other people. Give to other people. Help the poor. Share your cloaks. Because if you can learn to love a stranger, maybe you can learn to love the opposite sex. And if they'll engage in this virtuous conduct with you, maybe they'll learn to love you also. This anyone can practice. You don't have to be a Catholic. But then here's what John the Baptist says, because this is the faith. Now, people were filled with expectation and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. But John answered them all saying, I am baptizing you with water but one mightier than I is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Exhorting them in many other ways, he preached the good news to the people. So 
the life of grace. We are made for love. And love is the love of God, which you can experience in a spouse and in children. The hookup culture is this cheap substitute that relies only on feelings and passions. You know, I don't want to put it on women, but women obviously have their act much together, more together about what sex means in life. Probably they should tell their their boyfriends and their brothers about it. And maybe they might find more husbands out there. And men, men need to listen up to what's happening in the culture and what our sexual drives are doing to women. Because the end, which is the chaff being burned in unquenchable fire, friends, if you can't get a hold of your passions, if you cannot cure your passions through the exercise of virtue, we'll all, you'll just burn in the unquenchable fire of passion. You know, when I was at one of my nephew's weddings, um, I was sitting with this young couple and they were an attractive young couple from the coast. And then I said, wow, are you two getting married? And the guy says to me, why would I get married? We love each other. We, we like being together. What does marriage have to offer us? Well, you know, I kind of upset what I thought marriage had to offer us. He was not buying. Then I looked at the woman, what do you think? And she had nothing to say. Friends, you know there was loads there to say. But to this blockhead she's sitting next to, she doesn't have the guts and the courage to say what needs to be said. And if women can't say that to men, well, what's left? Love is passion, drives soap operas, not committed relationships and marriage. Love as choice, which means you break the silence and you say something. Love is choice is at the root of a happy marriage and family. You know, how do you protect the love that you want in your life? The words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great martyr of, uh, to the Nazis in Germany. He says, love will not protect your marriage. Marriage will protect your love. The public commitments we make to each other. Friends, we need a plan for life, the life of love. So why don't we turn now and talk about the great counter-liturgy, the cure to the hookup culture, and that's the Catholic ritual of marriage. Be back in a moment. If you've been a fan of Oro Valley Catholic, you know I'm a great fan of poetry. And here's a poet named Tom Desch. He's a, he's a gay man, and he's dead now. He wrote science fiction, I guess, but he was also wrote poetry. And he wrote a poem that I think is the great poem of the hookup culture. And the poem is called The Self as Product. And this is the poem. Though you may consider it an undesirable property, rest assured, that somewhere its purchaser exists and is looking for something exactly like you. Keep placing ads, rehearse your smile, go everywhere you're invited and polish your best anecdotes like family silver. If nothing happens, reassess your asking price or change agencies. Above all, seem to enjoy yourself. People need to see the product being used. Isn't that a great poem? <laughs> I love that poem. Look at yourself as a property, how you market yourself, how 
you let people use you. That's the self as product. The very opposite of how it is that we live a life of committed marital love. So love is like a raging fire. It's a passion. Um, it can be a passion. But the passion can be tempered by virtue. A savage attack is beaten not by a savage defense, my friends, but by modern, but by moderation. And so the practice of virtue is just this habitual inclination to do the right thing. Men and women making good judgments in their relationships. That's called prudence. Men and women understanding what they are owed in justice and what other people are owed. We are owed things and we owe other people. And if we have good judgment, prudence, it's more likely we'll be just with others and expect others to be just with us. This is the maintenance of, of boundaries. And then temperance or moderation, learning how to push back against the passions. Because the thing about a passion is it can be a raging fire that consumes you or a recognition of a passing breeze that will move on as you get on to much more important things in your life. And then the cardinal virtue of courage or fortitude, patient endurance, every day getting up and just doing the right thing, prudently, justly, and in moderation. That itself will not bring you happiness, maybe, but it will put you in a life of grace. And then the love of God may be expressed through love in a spouse and family can find you. Passion's about opening up the possibilities. Men and women need to break the silence. So let's talk briefly about the sacrament of marriage. First, it's about consent. Isn't it funny that at the root of the hookup culture is uh, consent? Uh, how crazy that is, because there's so much more um, to, uh, to, to human sexuality. Consent does not make wrong into right. And so when you come in front of the priest, he says, Barbara and Frank, have you come here to enter into marriage without coercion, freely and wholeheartedly? And they each say, I have. They're free people. Are you prepared as you follow the path of marriage to love and honor each other for as long as you both shall live? Bridegroom and bride say, I am. The following question is then asked, are you prepared to accept children lovingly from God and to bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church? And they each say, I am. And human sexuality finds its true end. Uh, children to love God. And then it's this. I, Frank, take you, whatever I said her name was. <laughs> I, husband, take you, wife, to be my spouse. I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love you and to honor you all the days of my life. Think about that as a statement of faith in another person, to be faithful to you, to love you and honor you in good times and bad. And when they say they do that, and they put that ring on each other's finger in gold that is incorruptible, then the priest says this blessing. O God, who by your mighty power created all things out of nothing, and when you had set in place the beginnings of the universe, you formed man and woman in your own image, making the woman an inseparable helpmate to the man, 
that they might no longer be two but one flesh, and taught that what you were pleased to make one must never be divided. O God, who consecrated the bond of marriage by so great a mystery, that in the wedding covenant you foreshadow the sacrament of Christ and his church, O God, by whom woman is joined to man, and the companionship they had in the beginning is endowed with the one blessing, not forfeited by original sin, nor washed away by the flood. Look now with favor on these your servants, joined together in marriage, who ask to be strengthened by your blessing. Send down on them the grace of the Holy Spirit, and pour your love into their hearts, that they may remain faithful in the marriage covenant. May the grace of love and peace abide in your daughter, let her always follow the example of all those holy women whose praises are sung in Scripture. May her husband entrust his heart to her, so that acknowledging her as his equal and his joint heir to the life of grace, he may show her due honor and cherish her always with the love of Christ, who ha which he has for his church. And now, Lord, we implore you, may these your servants hold fast to the faith and keep your commandments, made one in the flesh, May they be blameless in all they do. And with the strength that comes from the gospel, may they bear true witness to Christ before all. May they be blessed with children and prove themselves virtuous parents who live to see their children's children. And grant that, reaching at last together the fullness of years for which they hope, they may come to the life of the blessed in the kingdom of heaven. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Human misery, human loneliness, met by virtue, met by virtue. And here's what I want to leave with you. How do you live life in a godly way? Put this in your heart. Love favors the bold. Love favors the bold. God is so bold that in the course of time, in the fullness of time, he sent his only begotten son to dwell amongst us, to baptize us in fire and the Holy Spirit, to bring us the fullness of love on this side of the grave that can be experienced in some way in the beautiful sacrament of marriage and the holy life that follows. To all of you who are married, God bless you. To all of you who are married and struggling, God be with you. To all of you who are dating who want to be married, I say pray to St. Raphael, Live a life of virtue. Hold yourself open to good things happening. For those who've been married and disappointed and struggling are divorced and remarried or separated, brothers and sisters, pray. Live a life of virtue. Ask God to show you the way. This has been Oral Valley Catholic, and this has been Father John Arnold.